Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about the herb self-heal, and I'm updating info relating to previous podcast episodes. And I'm also going to talk about my favorite cooling herbal drinks for super hot summer days. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your very own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. episode is dedicated to self-heal prunella vulgaris but first i have a few things i'd like to share with you pertaining to previous episodes and my favorite cooling herbal beverages first um i recently talked about brown tail moth rashes maybe a couple episodes ago and I have an update on that. So we have a epidemic of brown tail moths in Maine. And this time of year, it seems like it's almost impossible not to get the rash. I unfortunately, the other day on Monday was weeding in a garden that must have had a bunch of residual hairs from the caterpillars. And I got covered in the rash. My whole um, abdomen sides and my arms. And it was very itchy. So I had talked originally uh, in the previous episode about plantain and mixing plantain with mud or with clay to make kind of a mud pack. And that's what I did the first night that the rash started to develop. And that allowed me to kind of chill out that night and not itch it. I went through probably two or three applications and then slept through the night just fine. My husband, who I had talked about, had had the rash pretty bad previously, and he had tried everything. He had gotten a bunch of stuff from the pharmacy, and he had also tried the plantain mud, um, but he found that 
what really worked for him was taking a frozen aloe leaf and peeling the outer skin off and rubbing the frozen gel on the rash and letting it sit and dry on the rash. And so he suggested I do that and I did that and it worked great. Um, he was really excited that he remembered, you know, living in Hawaii and that the alloy is what he calls it, aloe or alloy, uh, grows just wild all around on the beaches and shores. And he, it's just classic for kind of drying up red, irritated skin rashes. And I would always have some, I always have an aloe plant in my house, and then I'd always keep at least one aloe leaf in the freezer. And I would classically just use it for sunburns. It's so soothing, taking the fresh, uh, freshly frozen gel of the aloe plant, nice and cold, and just rubbing it on the sunburns. And it just soothes the burn and you might have to reapply even every 10 minutes but then in time you'll need it less and less and what I found with applying it to the brown tail moth rash is you get that immediate instant relief because it's actually a very uh, hot and angry irritating kind of painful rash and then as it dries you kind of want to keep your clothes off of it and then as it dries, it kind of gets a little astringent and kind of stings the rash just a little bit. But then once you get through that, the itch is totally gone and it lasts for a long time. It actually lasted for the whole next day. I was able to work again gardening in the hot, this heat wave weather and the hot sun and um sweating and which can really aggravate the rash but I was able to work and it wasn't itchy so I stand by that for sure and then that afternoon I came home and reapplied and didn't really have to do much the rest of the night and then the next day I woke up and the rash was nearly gone the visual of the rash kind of sticks around, but the itch and the irritation and the burning is pretty much totally gone. So I just wanted to add that update on, and I think that it could be helpful for other really red, itchy, irritated rashes, even like a heat rash or hives, uh, even an allergic reaction of hives. Try some frozen aloe gel. The aloe gel, it once you take it from the plant, the living plant, it molds really quickly. I remember when I was first getting into herbs, I was like, oh, I'll just like make some aloe gel and just leave it on my shelf. And I think maybe 24 hours later, I opened the jar of the gel that I had harvested from the leaf and it had that nice like bright pink mold growing all through it, which the red molds are the worst molds really to mess around with that got composted and now I just freeze them. I think you could, and it just works really nice with the leaf and you can just like peel back, you know, take off the sharp edges and then just with a sharp knife, just peel the skin off. So one side of the leaf is the skin and then one side of the leaf is the exposed frozen gel and it makes a great rub. 
the the next uh, podcast episode I want to refer to that I want to improve the details of how I of what I said was in the f- episode where I talked about flower essences and how to make a flower essence. It gets a little confusing because there's lots of different layers. There's like a mother tincture, a stock bottle, and a dosage bottle. And I think I got as far as the stock bottle in my description and not as far as the dosage bottle, even though I kind of called the stock bottle the dosage bottle. So I want to review that. It's funny, every week, you know, I I, I post the podcast and then I kind of listen to it at some point that week just to, you know, listen so maybe I can improve how I come across or, you know, sometimes I hear myself and I'm just like, oh, I totally said that wrong because, you know, I don't read from a script. I just kind of have notes that I go by. So to make a flower essence, you start out with a, usually it's like a crystal clear bowl and it has water in it and you uh, cover the top of the water with flowers, usually one kind of flower, and then you let it sit out in the sun for a few hours in direct sunlight. And equal amounts of that water is added to an equal amount of brandy into a bottle. So it's half of the actual pure flower essence, which is only water and the energy of the flower. And then the other half of your bottle is brandy. And that is a, is a preservative, essentially, preserves the water. And then to make your stock bottle, which is what is generally sold in stores. Um, You take your stock bottle, you fill a one ounce amber bottle with equal amounts of purified water and brandy again, but then you add four drops of the mother tincture, which is the first one. So the mother tincture is half of the pure flower essence and half brandy. And then you take four drops of that and put it into a one ounce bottle that's half purified water and half brandy. And that gives you the stock bottle. And so usually in stores, that's what you'll buy. Like that's what Bach Flower Essences sells is their stock. And then from that stock bottle, you make a dosage bottle. And so to make a dosage bottle, you fill up uh, a one ounce amber bottle that is, or it could be any, I guess, any size bottle you want, but usually it's a one ounce bottle and it's 75% purified water and 25% brandy. And then you add four drops from your stock bottle into that. And that is your dosage bottle. So that's what you dose with. And you can then take that and add it to whatever drinking water you have, or you, the suggested, the Bach flower essence, um, company suggests that it's four drops under the tongue four times a day, more if needed. It's definitely not something you can overdose on. So it's more important is the frequency than the quantity. I mean, there's essentially no, 
residual plant matter or chemistry left. It's basically just brandy and water. And so if you didn't listen to the episode, I invite you to check it out. I really kind of take a different take on flower essences and the and I really stress the importance that if you are going to work with flower essences to own the power in it and to make your own flower essences and make it your own ritual <clears throat> and give it your own meeting don't let someone else tell you their own projection of what a plant represents to them and then gives you a bottle of water and tells you you know and then puts their projection onto you it's really going to work best if it's your own story it's your own ritual and it's your own connection and relationship with the plant or the flower that you're working with and the so the next uh, episode that I want to refer to is actually last week's episode where I was talking about the cleavers and harvesting the cleavers. And, you know, I listened to myself and I was like, oh, I hope I don't give the wrong impression because I was talking about how I there's not an abundance of cleavers that I have seen growing in my media environment on the island that I live on. But this one spring that there just was a huge flush of cleavers in this one garden that I tend that came from I can only imagine it came from uh, the seaweed that I that the kind of rotty seaweed from the coastline that I had applied around these blueberry bushes unless it maybe came from some deer that were roaming around through there but there were lots of other weeds that popped up from this old seaweed mash that I had fertilized the blueberries with. And so I assume that that's also where the cleaver seeds were. And I said in the podcast that I harvested the whole works and I did, I harvested all the cleavers from that garden because it was a garden that I was being paid to tend. And I knew the people that were paying me did not want any weeds in that section of the garden. Weeds, quote unquote, wild medicinal plants. They wanted it just to be the blueberries. If it was my own garden that I was tending that I had total control of, then I would have left at least half of the cleaver plants there. And I would have let them go to seed. Cleavers are an annual. So they die after the first year, you know, they grow, they set their seed, and then they die. And then the next year, hopefully they've produced even more seed. Uh, they're, they definitely produce a lot more than one seed per plant, right? So your population, if you allow it to go to seed every year, and it's in a place where it likes to grow, then it will continue to grow and grow. And that's what we want. I definitely don't want to promote the fact of like, oh, this this plant that I've haven't seen growing at all and I know it's medicinal so I'm just gonna take it all because <laughs> I haven't seen it around that I feel like that is maybe how I came across but in that episode but it I didn't it, normally I would leave the cleavers to go to seed and I did take some cleavers home with me they hadn't quite gone to seed yet but I'm hoping like a lot of annuals will actually if they are if they are already flowering 
or have already been pollinated but haven't totally ripened their seeds yet, but they're harvested or weeded from a garden, they, they will still, as they are dying and beginning to decompose, they'll, they, a lot of them will actually produce seeds uh, before they dehydrate and decompose. So I did bring some of the cleavers that um, I kind of cleaned out from as I was kind of going through the cleavers to hide, to dehydrate them on screens. I cleaned out some of the ones that didn't look so great or had some yellowing or browning or different tips of them. And I took all of that and I put it in an area that I thought that cleavers could possibly grow in my yard um, and not get mowed kind of on the edge of the yard in, in hopes that maybe there will be some seeds that will come out of it and I will have cleavers that will grow there. But because they are annual weeds, they do grow pretty readily from seed. So if you ever wanted to promote a cleavers patch in your own yard, there are places where you can buy seeds of weeds, (laughs) or you could find some somewhere else and harvest them when they're in seed and then bring them to a different location to let them reseed. But I find that annual wild plants don't transplant well. Like I don't think I could have transplanted those cleavers easily and had them continue to live and definitely not in the working situation that I was in. It's always important when you're working with plants that you don't see a lot of unless you're weeding them out of a garden because your client is paying you to do so because they don't want them growing there, um, then it's then it's awesome that you can at least work with and utilize the plants that would otherwise just make it to the compost bin. But if it's your own garden that you're tending, you want to leave some cleavers because who knows, there, maybe there will be more seeds in that garden and more cleavers will come up every year and that would be awesome because maybe there is more seeds that didn't grow this year that was in the seaweed mush. But generally, you always want to leave enough to reproduce for the next year before harvesting it all. So the next thing I'd like to talk about, we are in a heat wave, a whole two or three day heat wave here in Maine. And I know many other places in the country, uh, especially the Pacific Northwest is also in a heat wave. And it's summer, so we're going to we're gonna get hot. And my favorite cooling beverage tea, herbal tea, that I like to make is a hibiscus mint tea. And this became, I, there was one summer where I worked, or I sold uh, iced tea and hot tea at a farmer's market locally, just to kind of have contact with the community and get out there. And... This tea was such a hit, especially on the really hot days. People would come and they'd get this iced tea and then they would come back for another cup because it was so cooling and refreshing. So I would make a hibiscus nourishing infusion to start. So you get the hibiscus. It's usually called flowers. It's actually the calyx of the flower, like the outer coating that opens up and then the flowers inside it. It's like hard and red. And hibiscus is really common in tea in, in the commercial market and grocery stores. It's 
gives those tea the red um, citrusy kind of flavor. Any tea that basically turns bright red in your cup as soon as you pour hot water over it and has a really kind of citric, acid, vitamin C, sour, lemony flavor to it is most likely hibiscus with other herbs in it. So I like to make a nourishing herbal infusion, which is quite strong, of hibiscus. So I will weigh out one ounce of the hibiscus, the dried hibiscus calyxes, and I'll put them in a one ounce in a quart jar, and I'll pour boiling water to fill the jar and put a tight lid on it and let it steep for four to eight hours or overnight. And then I'll strain it out and it gives this really strongly sour, a little bit of sweet, uh, bright, deep red infusion. And I'll keep that in the fridge. I'll chill that. And actually, another thing that's fun to do with that infusion is to put it in ice cube trays and make hibiscus ice cubes. And then you can add that to lemonade and as it or to cocktails or to just your daily, your whatever you're drinking, your nourishing infusions or water or what have you, bubbly water. And then as the ice cubes melt, the your drink slowly gets more and more pink. It's pretty fun. But hibiscus in itself is very cooling. And it's that very, it's almost like lemonade is cooling. It's that sour flavor. It's very cooling. Hibiscus is also, um, you know, helps to reduce overactive inflammation response in the body. And it also is very beneficial for heart health and for blood pressure regulation or modulation. Among other things, it's very high in vitamin C as well, which helps to, which is part of the reason why it is so sour, has that really um, acidy kind of flavor to it. I'll also make just a regular mint tea, whether it's from fresh mint leaves or dry mint leaves. Usually I have dry mint leaves, so I will just do, uh, if they're mint leaves from my own garden, so they're not like totally crushed, super small, I will take a tablespoon per cup of water. There are four cups in a quart jar. So in your four cups of hot boiling water, you will have four, roughly four tablespoons of dried mint leaves. And you can adjust that to your own flavor likes. And then uh, once they're both refrigerated and cool, you can mix them together. And I would do maybe like one third hibiscus and two thirds of the mint tea. And then drink that over ice and you can carry it in a nice cooling thermos with ice throughout the day and just sip on it. You're going to get a lot of vitamins and minerals from the hibiscus and you'll get the soothing, cooling, refreshing qualities of the hibiscus and mint combination. And they taste really good together as well. You see a lot lately about people... um, drinking electrolytes, especially in these really hot weather or electrolyte beverages, um, like Gatorade, I guess would be the classic electrolyte beverage. And you see, uh, athletes drinking that. Um, but you can 
make your own electrolyte beverages. And there's kind of a lot of that going on, uh, sharing of recipes online or on Instagram right now. But really, if you just would drink a nettle nourishing herbal infusion, that's going to give you all the electrolytes you really need and so much more. Electrolytes are basically minerals that help the hydration of your cells. So water doesn't just penetrate into your cells. Your cells are bound by a lipid layer or even a double lipid lipid layer. So it's a fat cell, fat membrane around your cell. And we know that water and fat, um, water and oil, water and fat, they just don't like each other. They don't mix well together. And so to get the water into the cell, to get your cells hydrated, the minerals are really important. So um, I think calcium, potassium, uh, and sodium, some other really important minerals uh, help to carry the water into the cell. And so if your electrolytes are off balance, then because you're dehydrated or you aren't consuming enough minerals in your diet, then a lot of different health issues can happen from that, including um, proper amounts of fluid in the body and how it's regulated, um, heart uh, pumping and circulation is really needed. But let's face it, I mean, electrolytes are super important for so many functions in the body. And something that another thing to consider is if we drink too much, just plain water that doesn't have the electrolytes, that doesn't have minerals and salts in it, you know, minerals are often attached to a salt. So that's like mineral salts, right? (laughs) So if they, if you, what you're drinking a lot of doesn't have that then, and you're drinking a lot of just plain water or even purified water, um, distilled water, then you can really kind of flush out your electrolytes. And, you know, the electrolytes are found in blood and urine and sweat. And so if you're sweating a lot, you're losing electrolytes and minerals in your sweat. If you are drinking so much that you're constantly peeing, uh, because you think that you're, you know, you need to flush your body out or you need, if you know that you're hydrated, if you pee clear, um, you can actually be really flushing out your electrolytes and, and losing the proper amount, diluting them to a degree that that can be deleterious. So that's why one of the reasons why it's really important to when you're consuming fluids, especially when it's super hot and you might be sweating a lot, that the fluids that you consume are high in minerals. And that is one great thing about the classic nourishing herbal infusions, which, um, for example, stinging nettle, And so I told you how to make an infusion talking about the hibiscus, but the stinging nettle is super high in all these minerals and can really help with proper fluid in the body. And it does have some diuretic action, but it's not flushing out minerals. It's replacing minerals, any minerals that it might be 
flushing out as it's a diuretic and getting rid of excess fluid retention in the body. So you weigh out one ounce of dried nettle, and that's really important that you actually weigh out the ounce, because if you just put a, a cup or you just put a handful or you know just put a couple tablespoons in, it's not going to give you the minerals and the electrolytes in, in the concentrated amount to really have an effect. So you weigh out one ounce of nettle, and usually nettle's pretty light and fluffy, so it's going to look like it's filling up half your jar but most of that is airspace. And then you fill the rest of your jar with boiling water, and this is in a one-quart jar. Cover it, let it steep um, until it gets to room temperature, and then put it in the fridge so it gets nice and cold. And then drink it over ice. So again, fill up your thermos with ice and your nettle infusion, and sip on that throughout the day. And it will be much, much more hydrating and restoring and nourishing than plain water ever would be. So those are the two drinks that I like to focus on on these really hot days. The hibiscus mint iced tea and nettle nourishing herbal infusion. And another thing that I've learned recently, it's a little counterintuitive, but you get a lot faster absorption of what you drink and the minerals that you're drinking, the electrolytes, if you drink them over ice. For whatever reason, when you consume an iced beverage, it immediately goes into your blood, like really, really quickly, and it doesn't stay in your stomach long at all. If you consume hot liquid, it's going to stay in your, it could potentially stay in your stomach up to four hours before it's absorbed. So you're going to get a lot faster hydration if you drink ice vip beverage over a hot beverage. All right. Well, thank you for sticking with me through the updates and herbs for this heat wave. I would love to share with you one of my favorite herbs, self-heal or heal all, which I just noticed today is blooming up a storm. So I'll be right back with all about heal all. Prunella vulgaris, also known as self-heal or heal-all, is a scentless mint family plant. So it's a Lamiaceae plant, and it has the classic square stems and alternate leaves, and it has a flower head on top with a classic little tiny lipped mint flowers. I would say the head, the whole flower head reminds me similar of like a betony uh, flower, a wood betony, a stachys flower. 
And the self-heal grows quite low to the ground, but in a clumping nature. It also can fill a lawn and it is fine. It will be, get mowed happily and then it will just flower and reflower after every time it's mowed. And it will just, even if it just is a little tiny stem and a flower on top, it's just fine with that. But also what I like to do is I like to incorporate it into gardens and to even leave it in gardens where I see it coming up as a quote unquote weed. And it makes a really nice border plant. Um, it can, it just is a nice clump. It, you know, some people that I was like, oh, we're going to put this in your garden. They're like, oh my gosh, isn't that like a ground cover? Doesn't it just take over? similar to um, ground ivy, but it, it I don't have that experience with it at all. It just kind of stays as one plant and it might self-seed if you don't cut back the flower heads and produce more of itself. But unto itself, it, I don't really notice it growing too much as rhizomes underground, like spreading mint family plants do. And it's just a really simple, delicate flower, beautiful purple, um, and delicate leaves. It doesn't really have a huge flavor to it. So I guess there is some rosmarinic um, acid in it, which is what gives one of the oils that gives rosemary, it, one of the volatile oils that gives rosemary its flavor. So you might get like the slightest hint of that, especially if you harvest it on a really hot, sunny day. But mostly it's just kind of green, very mild tasting. It's a pretty small plant. And for me, what I like to do is to harvest the flowering stems and then you kind of leave the the rest of the base of the plant and it will regrow flowers. So you get the stem, a few leaves on that stem and the flowering top of the plant. And I make tincture with it. So I take an empty jar and I can judge, you know, how much plant material I'm going to have. And so then I base the size of my jar on that because you want it, the your plant material to lightly pack full the jar that you have. I find that baby food jars, if you have access to those, are a really nice size for making small tinctures or you can get like the four ounce jelly jars um, the mason jars which are nice just for making small amounts of tincture in and I in, in my basket I will cut with scissors the self-heal into tiny pieces and then I'll put that all in the jar and lightly pack it and then at my local grocery store, I can find 100 proof vodka, which is 50% alcohol and 50% water. The proof number is half of what your proof is, is your percentage of alcohol. So 80 proof, which is what most vodka is, is 40% water. I mean, yeah, sorry, 40% alcohol and 60% water. So your proof, half of your proof is your percentage of alcohol. So 80 proof is 40% alcohol. 100 proof is 50% alcohol. 
and it's a higher amount of alcohol, so you're going to get stronger osmosis, stronger pull of nutrients out of the plant material, but it's not the almost 200 proof uh, ethanol or grain alcohol or, you know, pure alcohol. So it's, it has also the water benefits that help to extract the more modulating components of the plant. So you're getting alcohol-soluble properties and water-soluble water properties in your 100-proof vodka tincture. And then cover it with a tight lid, let it sit out of the sunlight in a cool, dark place, ideally, for six weeks or a full moon cycle or longer. And then you can strain it out. And for me, what I have mostly used the prunella tinctures for are um, like tonsillitis or getting lymph moving, swollen lymph nodes, and immune support. I also like to make a infused oil with the self-heal. So exactly the same process as making the tincture, but with um, like a light olive oil or whatever oil you prefer. I don't use extra virgin. That's just has too much olive flavor to it. And let it sit maybe four weeks. You can put, since we're using fresh plant material, you can put a breathable top, like a fabric top, on it instead of the tight ball jar top lid so that if there's extra moisture it can kind of evaporate out and the because the self-heal plant is a great wound healer or you know just really beneficial for for skin health as well another benefit of the self-heal is that it's known to be very high in antioxidants and so for this, like it's nice just to put it chopped up in salad. Um, or you could make a nourishing herbal infusion with the self-heal. But again, it's such a small plant and we're not really easily able to harvest enough to make the nourishing herbal infusions. You can add some to tea blends if you'd like. Or if you have a antioxidant tea blend that you love, you can put some prunella in there as well but generally for me I just kind of reserve it for a tincture for improving lymph function or adding it to a salve or creating a salve with it for skin wound healing there has been some research showing that the there is potential for the prunella to shrink tumors so that's something to look into. Um, and just as an overall immune support, you know, heal if what an herb that's called self heal or heal all and that grows abundantly in yards and gardens is a good plant to just get to know and form a relationship with and see what you can do for each other. Is there space in your garden for prunella? Is there space in your life for Prunella? Can you help her? And maybe she can also help you. 
So if you enjoy this podcast, I would love for you to rate and review it. I would really like to reach a larger audience and the way that the iTunes is now set up their podcasting. It's really helpful for if you like what you hear to give it a a rating four or five stars would be great. And that way it will be suggested to more people. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook or my website, all with the tag Solidago Herb School. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. And until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube